Okay, guys. So first of all, you know, I was away last week. I was in Asia for uh, almost two weeks <laughs> doing some uh, uh, teaching. Actually, what I was teaching this time was preaching. And uh, so that was really interesting. There was a hundred pastors there. Then I got to stay a couple of extra days and see another group of a hundred. So that's simply amazing right now, considering the... Uh, the stress that the Chinese church is under. And uh, just about a month ago, I heard, I heard uh, the president of Empower say he's going to quit referring to the persecuted church as the persecuted church, but he's going to refer to them as the persevering church. That's more of a Bible term. You don't see the term persecuted church in the Bible, but you do see the concept of a persevering church, that even in spite of of all the hardships and difficulties that they're going through, they're persevering. And they love the Lord and are really um, needing your prayers. Do you understand? So uh, I just want to make mention of that to you. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to talk today, we're going to continue on. The last time we talked, we talked about seeking God and about the reality that God knows everything about you. You know, oftentimes when we go into a meeting, we don't lay everything out on the table. We don't, we try not to wear our feelings on the sleeve. We, we try to, we have some, basically we try to cover ourselves so that nobody knows who we are. But when you go to God, He knows everything about you. Every thought, every action. He knows everything. There is nothing hidden from Him. Nothing. Nothing is hidden from him. So we're going to take it one step further today and talk about if we're going to seriously seek after God and seek his renewal in our life, the next thing that happens when you realize that God knows everything about you, the next thing that should happen is, is you really need to get right with him. Do you understand? Because everything you've ever done wrong is out there in the open. Okay? Everything you've done there is out there in the open. And this is especially important right now that we're having this conversation because like this last week, uh, Pew Research released another study. Do you guys know who Pew Research is? They're like the guys who do all of the surveys in the United States and so forth. And, and again, they're showing a steady decline in Christianity in our nation among people. And, and yeah, we see that. <laughs> we see that. And a lot of times that has to do with people's hearts. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's first start off. Everybody got a study sheet? I mean, encourage you to get a study sheet, put it in a notebook. We're going to talk about the real you, first of all. We must operate from the reality that, that our lives and our thoughts are completely exposed to God. That's the first place you got to start off with. Okay. Like, so for instance, I haven't talked to Rob in a couple of weeks. Rob and I will probably get together this week, chit-chat, see how his week's been, see how my week's been. Now, when I get together with him and have coffee or lunch with him, am I going to tell him everything? Is he going to tell me everything? Probably not, Right? Now, here, here's what I want you to see. So when we come to the table, 
I'm going to tell him some things. I'm not going to tell him everything. So is he going to know everything that's going on in my life? Is he going to know all my dumb mistakes this last couple of weeks? Am I going to know his dumb mistakes this last couple of weeks? No, not at all. See, the reality, though, is, is when you go to God, nothing is hidden. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you can pull the wool over some people's lives. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. You're having a terrible day, but nobody else would know that. You tell them you're doing great. God knows everything. He knows your thoughts, your actions. Everything is exposed. But think about the way that we pray sometimes. We act like in prayer that God doesn't know what's going on. And so we pretend. But the real you needs to really grasp the reality that, you know what? We need to operate from the reality that everything is completely exposed to God. So the Lord intimately knows everything about you. Thoughts, speech, and actions. Everything. He knows everything about you. He knows the last argument you got into and the things that you said that you wish he could take back. He knows what you called somebody, what you said to spot the clerk at Walmart under your breath. Do you understand what I'm saying? He knows everything. He knows how you reacted when somebody cut you off in traffic that nobody else knows. God knows everything about you. Nothing is hidden from him. But again, we assume, we wrongly assume that when we go to God, he doesn't see it. He doesn't see what's going on in our lives. He doesn't acknowledge it. Oh, but trust me, he does see it and he does know it. So the realization of this should lead you to being, should be to being completely honest with the Lord about your sin. The realization of this should lead you to being completely honest with the Lord about your sin. Now that's going to be difficult. Because the fact of the matter is, is each of us has the tendency not to be honest. Do you know what I'm saying? Isn't that true? Each of us has a tendency not to be honest, even when we're caught red-handed. You ever been caught by red-handed by somebody? Like if your mama caught you? Remember, think back, some of you, that's a long time. Think back when your mama caught you doing something, or your daddy caught you doing something, and, and they were like, what are you doing? And, and you were like, oh, 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 you know, and then you tried to make some excuse for what's going on instead of being honest, right? Oh, it's so-and-so's fault. My brother made me do it. I'm just doing what he did. We, we make excuses for our sins, right? We're not completely honest. But listen, God knows everything about us. We need to be completely honest. You can't, of all the people to be completely honest with, it's God. Now here, why do you think we cover ourselves when it comes to our sin? What are we worried about? Shame. Anybody else? What are we worried about? Rejection. All right, that's good, Jordan. Anybody else? What are we worried about? Shame, rejection. What? Judgment. Consequences. Okay. Why do you think we hide it from God? Why do you think we're not honest with God about our sin? Same thing. 
How about, yeah, Lori? Okay, we misunderstand how he views us, okay? Anybody else? Yeah, it's like the same thing over and over again, okay? Yeah, so, did you understand? So, we, a lot of it has to do with what Lori just said, our complete misunderstanding of who God is and his grace. Because, folks, remember, okay, remember now, does he know everything about you? So he was there in the process of you thinking of doing that sin to the process of you doing that sin to the process of you covering that sin, right? And he still, this is the amazing thing, still loves you. Takes care of it through the cross. Isn't that amazing? That's not human, is it? No, it's, it's, it's a God thing, right? So because of that, the realization should lead you to being completely honest with the Lord about your sin. Now this, I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to take some practice. Because our natural tendency is what? Not to be honest. But when you come to the Lord, you what? You need to be honest. You understand? You need to be honest. So... <clears throat> So let's talk about getting real with God. We're going to look at Psalm 51. Everybody know about Psalm 51? How many of you read Psalm 51 before? Anybody read Psalm 51 before? Let me give you the background of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's psalm that he wrote after his sin with Bathsheba when he was exposed by Nathan the prophet. And his sin with Bathsheba included adultery, but it also included what, folks? Murder. He had her husband killed to get rid of him, to cover his sin. And so this is his prayer of confession. It's actually a great prayer for us to look at because it helps us understand what does confession mean. Because we have a wrong concept of confession, we just go to God, most of us just go to God, and we'll say, oh God, forgive me, I have sinned. Okay, first of all, what does that mean? Nothing. That's stating the obvious, okay? That's really not confession. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's like saying, George, it's like I'm saying, folks, I'm a German. Because I am. Well, that's not telling you anything. Because we're all what, folks? Sinners. Who what, folks? Sin. We're not admitting anything when we go to God and we say we sin because all we're doing is acknowledging who we are. Confession goes beyond that a little bit. So let's look at this psalm together. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51. I'm going to read you these verses, Okay. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. 
Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and behold me and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You, not, you do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your, do good in your good pleasure in Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to break this down and talk about getting real with God. Because I'm going to tell you folks, just going to him and saying, forgive me, I've sinned, is not getting real. Do you understand? You say, how do you know that? Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you had somebody do you wrong? Everybody's rolling their eyes. Everybody, right? Now, I don't want you brooding on who, who did you wrong the last time, but I want you to think about that. Think about somebody who's done you wrong. What if they came up to you and said to you, please forgive me, I know I did you wrong. Is that acceptable to you? Probably not. Why, Gene? It seems superficial, because are they acknowledging anything? Yeah, they admit they did it, but they didn't really, okay. You were shaking your head there, Nancy. Yeah, because... Yeah, because when you talk about going to somebody who's done, who if somebody's gone to you because they've done you wrong, and they say, "Oh, forgive me, I've, uh, forgive me for what I did," well, they're not taking ownership because they're not telling you what they did, right? Or which time? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Or which time? And sometimes they say that it's kind of like uh, trying to get back into good graces with you, right? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, for instance, you know, I grew up in a home of an alcoholic. And a lot of times my dad, when he got drunk, he was not in his right mind and said things and did things he shouldn't have done. And I have heard him confess many times to us as a family, I'm sorry, I hope I'll, I'll never do it again. Guess what? The next time the, the beer was flowing, he what? He did it again. See, that's meaningless because first of all, what was he sorry for? He never said what he was sorry for. 
But, you know, I'm bringing all these real illustrations up to you because that's exactly what you and I do. We're not acknowledging anything. Right? Not at all. Alright, so let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about David's sin here and learn some things. First of all, there's a request for God's mercy in your life concerning sin. That's the very first thing David starts off with. Look at what he says. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. Very first thing out of his life is, God, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. Now, why is that different than just going to him and saying, just, just forgive me for my sin? Why is that different? There's a difference here. Okay, he knows what he's supposed to get for what he's doing, but he's asking for something else. What's that? Okay. All right, he knows what he's due, but he's just asking for mercy. Do you understand? He's, he understands the breath, he understands the severity of what he's doing. So he starts off right off the bat, God have mercy on me. God have mercy on me. Okay? Here's the next thing. The basis for this request is a knowledge of God's loving kindness and tender mercy. See, this is what he understands. He understands that he can go to God in his confession, and ask God to be merciful to him because he knows he has an understanding, what? That God's going to be loving towards him, kind, and merciful. Now remember, we talked about earlier the reason why we hide things from God. Lori brought it up. What? That we forget, we misunderstand God. We think God's ready to just squash us, give you car problems, Give you problems at work. Do you know what I'm saying? Strike you with sickness. But that's not true. God is loving towards you. And even in dealing with you in your sin, he's going to deal with you in your sin in a loving way. You understand? Now, let me just stop for a moment. It's just so we understand He's going to deal with you in your sin like a loving parent would deal with their children in their sin, right? And a loving parent just doesn't let their children get away with it, right? You know, there's no love. No, 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 love it. Love sometimes is hard, though, too, right? The reality is, is that when you start off confessing, you've got to acknowledge something about him. God, I need you to be merciful to me because your loving kindness and your tender mercy. Let's go on. There's also a request for cleansing from your sin. What do you mean cleansing? Well, Bruce brought it up earlier. He brought up, why do we hide things from God when we go and talk to him? It's because we carry what, folks? Guilt and shame. Now, does that affect you? Yeah, it sure does, doesn't it? You know, we like to say that we're in a culture that's not based on shame, but the reality is, is we are. We maybe have lessened shame in our culture and what's acceptable and what's not, but the reality is you and I still carry shame for the things that we do wrong, right? Nobody else may acknowledge it. Everybody else might think, ah, oh, it's not a big deal, don't care, but yet we still do. 
We still carry it. And so there is a sense in which when you and I do wrong, we feel, how should I say it, dirty. Dirty because of the stains of sin in our life. And so God is showing us here in the scripture, first thing David says is, you know, have mercy on me. Next thing, God, I need you to clean me. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to change me. Okay, we're going to see that several times in this prayer. All right, so let's go on. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what, folks? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The key to the cleansing that everybody wants is we got to be what with him? Honest with him. Honest. It's interesting. If you read 1 John, I would encourage you to read 1 John. John says several times, if you say you have no sin, he says you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Wow. Pretty brutal of John, right? But that's reality. So let me ask you, do we sin here? Okay, I'm glad we all do. Otherwise, you're a liar. Did you understand what I'm saying? We lie if we say we don't sin. Okay? Let's go on. The acknowledgement. We're going to see this now. We're looking at verses 3 to 4. First of all, there has to be ownership of the sin that you are continually carrying. There has to be ownership. Look at what he says there. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Now, what do you think it means acknowledging your sin? What do you think that means, owning your sin? What do you think that means? Okay, confessing it, realizing it's wrong, trying to turn from it. But what does, okay, because we can do that, but you can do that without owning it, right? All right, that's good, right, Bruce. You have to admit it's a sin. You have to admit that you did something against God. Now, let me ask you a question, but can you do that without owning it? Ah, that's it, Sue. If you try to place the blame on somebody else. So, for instance, have you ever talked to somebody? And let's say, uh, you know, I did, I did Bruce wrong here. You know, I did Bruce wrong. And uh, so we're talking, and I'm like, you know, Bruce, I'm sorry I did you wrong. But then I throw in, but, but, if you hadn't, if you, if you, right? What am I doing there? What, what, what's that? Yeah, turning it around on Bruce, right? I'm, I'm shifting the what, folks? The blame, or I would say you're shifting the what? The ownership of the sin. How many times have we done that? God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, but if Lori hadn't have done this, If that clerk hadn't have done that, we're not owning it, are we? But isn't that a human tendency? We all do it, right? Yeah, we all do it, okay? There has to be ownership that, that the sin 
ownership of the sin that you are continually carrying. Okay? There has to be ownership. Here's the other one. It must be recognized that you have sinned against God in his presence. Look at what it says there, verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. See, sometimes we think when we go to God, we're, he may know about it, but he doesn't know the details because he wasn't there. First of all, that's deception on your part because he's always with you. How do I know that? When you got saved, who entered into your life immediately? Holy Spirit. Now, who's the Holy Spirit? God. So, does he go with you everywhere? So, he was there when you what? Sinned. When you planned that sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? He He's there. So, it must be recognized that you've sinned against God in his presence. Okay? So it's not like you left out, you can leave out a detail with him. But, no, he was there. Okay? He was there. Let's go on. There's also a recognition that God is just in his judgment of your sin. Look, sometimes this is, you know... We, Oh, mom, dad's not fair because they whooped you for not doing right. Well, God sometimes takes us to the woodshed too, right? He sometimes deals with us about our sin. One of the ways that he deals with us about our sin is he allows us to face the what of them, the consequences, right? But then sometimes God also does things to try to get our attention, right? Acknowledging your sin is also going to him and saying, God, you're right in dealing with me. Well, that's a big step now. That's changed. This is going to God and saying, I deserve what I'm getting. You know what I'm I deserve what I'm getting. Because a lot of us don't think we deserve punishment. Did you understand what I'm saying? We don't think that we deserve punishment, but the reality is, is that we do. Okay? We do. Now, there must be an understanding that you were born sinful. See, this is the, this is interesting. I, I was just dealing with a bunch of folks, and they have a concept that everybody is born good. Well, that's not what the Bible says. We're all born what, folks? Bad. Like, okay, how many of you take your... Okay, we've got a little one here. Are, are, are Caitlin and Jordan going to take that little one to special classes to know how to say no? Or to take toys away from another little one? Is there a class like that in preschool and nursery? Not yet, at least, right? Uh, okay, well, where did he learn it from? Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? We don't teach our kids that. Why? Because that comes what, folks? Naturally. Because we're all born what, folks? Sinners. See, going to God is saying is being honest with God. Because here's the thing. Why do we need to do this? Because sometimes we think we are what? Better than we really are. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that. Well, I'm better than 
him. No, you're not. We're all bad. And, and part of confessing is going to God and having an understanding that you were born sinful. Okay? There must be an understanding of what God really wants for your life. Look, look at verse 6. Behold, your, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. It's also acknowledging, folks, listen, that God wanted something different for you. Right? Listen, it's, it's amazing if you, if you're a parent, you realize sometimes a really the different dimension of God that you wouldn't if you were single. And if you didn't, if, even if you were married, if you didn't have kids, because, you know, as they get older, Parents have dreams for their kids. Am I right in saying that? And one of the dreams we have is, is we want them to not go through different hardships, right? And sometimes when they make choices that we know are wrong, and we may even advise them, don't do this. You can't write their story for them, right? And so you understand, it's like God. God say, I had this in mind for you. I desired something more for you. But, but what, folks? We chose what? Differently. This is what David is saying here. God, you desired truth in the inward part. In my inward parts, you desired something different for me. And what we're doing when we go in confession is saying, God, you wanted something different for me, but I chose what? I chose to go in a different direction on this issue. Do you understand? I chose to go in a different direction on this issue. Now, look at some further requests here. We're going to see it in verse 7 through 17. Here's some further things that are in his confession. So we, obviously you're seeing he's doing more than just saying, God, I've sinned. Look at what he's asking here. This is what you and I need to be asking. First of all, in confession, you are asking God to cleanse you from your sin. We've already talked about that. God, I want, and when we talk about cleansing, I'm not just talking about removing the shame. I'm talking about you want God to get rid of it out of your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Especially if you're struggling with the same sin over and over again. Some of us are already praying that God, free me from this, right? So when we're talking about cleansing, we're talking about God making us whole again, new again. Get rid of this from my life, okay? Let's go on. In confession, you're asking God not to hold your sin against you. All right, now we understand that, right? Because, okay, let's, let me go back. I did Bruce wrong. I even dropped the butts out of my confession. And I went to him and I'm owning it, Bruce. I'm sorry, Bruce. Now it's up to him whether he continues to hold it against me, right? And sometimes he may what? Continue to hold it against me, right? And is he wrong? No, he's human. Because he's like, well, yeah, you did it once. You might do it again. I don't know if I can trust you. Do you know what I'm saying? Or if I did it 
50 times over, he better not trust me anymore, right? Right? Yeah, but when we go to God in confession, you're asking God to what? Not hold it against you. All right, now stop for a moment. With Bruce, don't hold it against me, Bruce. Bruce doesn't know. He doesn't have the foresight of everything to know whether or not I'm going to do it again, right? He doesn't, he doesn't know that, right? Does God? Yeah, but I'm asking him not to what? Hold it against me. Isn't that interesting? Even though I know that he knows if I'm going to do it again, do you know what I'm saying? Even though I know that, I'm in confession, David is saying, don't, don't hold it against me. All right, let's go on. In confession, you're asking God to give you a new heart in place of your corrupted one. Now listen, you know, because some of you say, well, I got a new heart when I got saved. Yes, I understand that. You got a new heart when you got saved. But that's not what David's talking about here. He's talking about, when you talk about your heart, you're talking about the essence of who you are. And when you and I enter into sin, we awaken ourselves to the reality of what? That sin. And so what we're talking about here is creating me a new heart, oh God. We're talking about God bringing you back to a different point again. Because only he can do it, right? Because when you open yourself up to the reality of sin in your life, you can't go back, right? No, not at all. But only one person can bring you back there is who? God, okay, created me a clean heart, oh God. Notice that word, clean, all right? In confession, you're asking God to strengthen you with a steadfast spirit. Now, what does that mean? That means a whole lot because a lot of times the things we struggle with are the things that we're constantly confessing with him about, right? God, forgive me, I did it again. Yeah, okay, let's move beyond just confessing it. God, help me not to do it. Give me a what? A steadfast spirit so that I don't what, Lord? Keep doing the same things that I know I shouldn't be doing. Sinning against you. Okay? Steadfast spirit. Let's go on. In confession, you're asking God's presence to be real in your life again. Look, that's what it means here. Sometimes we'll look at this and say, oh, uh, look, uh, let me, what verse am I talking about? Here's what it says. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, through the years, I've heard this preached, taught, well, that's not applicable to us because we have the Holy Spirit and he can never be taken from us. Well, but that's not what he's talking about here. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the presence of God in your life. And does your sin affect the presence of God in your life, folks? Does it? Yes. How do we know that? Well, let me give you some couple of verses that can kind of shed some light on that. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Do not, what? Quench the Spirit. That word quench also means to snuff out. Yep, you know, my wife likes candles. Okay, so if you come into our house, especially if you're visiting, she'll burn candles. Okay? 
And so they'll be on the table, they're burning candles, and they have little fragrant aromas of stuff that she's picked out. I don't know what they are, they smell good. But then every once in a while, she'll blow them out, and when she blows them out, she'll snuff them out. There's always, what, still smoke coming up, right? Still there, but not enough to have a flame, right? That's called snuffing. Quenching. See, the Spirit of God is still there, but you have what? You have quenched His presence, His work in your life by your what, folks? Sin. So what am I doing with David's prayer? Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't, don't, don't remove your presence from me, God. Here's another verse. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. Again, the same thing. This time it's talking about not just that the Spirit of God is a power in your life, but it's a person. And when you do wrong, you what, folks? You grieve him. You grieve him. Okay? So the reality is, is you're asking for God's presence to be real in your life again. Look, this is what's going on here. So let me just stop for a moment. We've been talking about for the last few weeks about we don't sense God's presence in our life anymore. We don't sense him like we did. We're drifting away from him. Then, folks, if you're not sensing his presence in your life, that is a indication that there's a problem, and the problem isn't with God. The problem is with who? Yeah, with us. It's with us. And what's the problem? There must be something in our lives, right? That is quenching him and grieving him, right? Well, how do I find out what it is, George? Ask him. Ever been in a relationship and the other person in the relationship is just cold as ice, stone cold, not talking to you, and you're like, man, what's going on? And then you ask them, what's happening? And they'll say, you know. Well, you do know, right? Especially when they say that. If you go to God and you say to him, God, what's going on? You know. First thing that pops into your mind. In confession, you're asking God to deliver you from the guilt and shame of sin. Notice how many times this is talked about here in this passage. He's talked about, number one, cleansing you. A couple of times here he's talking about removing what from you? Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. 